0: Welcome back, you listener. Yeah, you. Specifically, you who's listening to this. Welcome back to another episode of the Chaos Ball Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I've got a very, very podcast-to-podcast to to you today about the Seattle Mariners. Pretty Mariners-heavy episode. I don't know if I'm really going to touch on anything across the league what I am going to talk about is your Seattle Mariners and the pretty, uh, pretty disappointing road trip that they just went on. I will be talking, I think I'm going to start the show today talking about George Kirby, that guy, uh, if you're not familiar, he's a pitcher on the Seattle Mariners. He actually hates pitching. He actually does not want to pitch. He hates baseball, in fact. He hates baseball itself, so much so that he never wants to go deep in the games. It's true. He, he hates the sport and he hates pitching, and I'll be talking about him. And he, and he loves to complain to the media about it. That's, uh, that's George Kirby. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Relax. All right? Uh, and then I'm going to be talking a little bit. I got some Brian Rue numbers. I got some Bryce Miller numbers. The two rookie pitchers. Are they running out of steam a little bit? Is the whole team running out of steam? Yes. Yes. The answer is yes. But we're starting the show with George Kirby. George Joseph Kirby made some comments to the media, a few days ago, that spawned some pretty, pretty foul discourse on Twitter. It was pretty disgusting. Uh, the amount of takes on this, not only just like the sheer amount of people chiming in who's, who've clearly never watched George Kirby pitch once. I'm looking at you, every veteran pitcher who tweeted about this, uh, and everyone had a take on it. And my take on Twitter before I really get into it is that. Uh, this doesn't matter that much, and we'll forget about it in a couple weeks. And I think generally we will as, like, Mariners fans and just baseball. Like, we'll forget about it. People, when they hear George Kirby's name, might remember this, but also he's such a good pitcher, I think he's going to re- be remembered for his pitching prowess more than this. But as, like, Mariners fans, we're not going to, like, who cares? This does not affect much in the grand scheme of things at all. Now, what did George say? What did he say he said quote I wish I wasn't out there for the seventh to be honest I was at 90 pitches and I didn't think I needed to go anymore he said that uh after the game you know after the game there's a general roundup with starting pitchers like what went well what didn't go well I talked about that seventh inning because he was at 90 pitches after the sixth he was he was struggling that game he'd only given up two runs but he had walked a few guys he hit a batter he was clearly off Especially if you've ever watched George Kirby, you could kind of tell he's off. And if you know him at all, if he walks more than one batter in an outing, uh, it's kind of an off night. If he walks more than one batter in an inning, it's a historically off night for him in his young career. Uh, and that's what he said after the game. And then the next day, after it kind of exploded on on online, he said he spoke uh, he spoke to the media again. He he said he apologized to Scott Service, uh, had productive conversations. Uh, that came out of that after his quote, emotional comments last night, I uh, said, I screwed up. That's not me. Skip's always got to pry the ball out of my hands. It's true. It's true. It's. And in that 24 hours and still the takes on this are absolutely, absolutely fucking crazy to me. So I I have, I have opinions about this what he said there obviously was for sure an error. Uh, that's not something you should ever be saying to the media even if you think it. I that's not ever obviously you don't want to make your manager look bad, but you also don't just you don't want to say that to the media like, "Oh, I should have been out. I didn't want to come back for the 7th." Those are conversations that can obviously be hashed out in-house in the clubhouse, and I'm sure that goes on a decent amount so he did make a mistake. This was absolutely a mistake. He shouldn't have said that to the media. Was clearly fuming a little bit after the game, especially because he came out in the 7th, almost got out of the 7th, and then gave up a two-run home run to Rene Pinto after going back out there. Um, so first off, obviously, this is a mistake. He shouldn't have said that. I read this, though, as like not, oh, I'm, I'm tired, Like take me out of the game. I'm at ninety pitches. I don't want to pitch anymore. I read it as I'm not pitching very well. I got through six. It's probably better move. It's probably a better move right now to go to the bullpen. Uh, I feel like it wasn't. It wasn't. Oh, take me out! I'm gassed. Like I don't want to pitch a seventh. He admitted also he was having an off night. Like I said, he hit a batter earlier in the game and walked a batter in the same inning. He said, "I don't. I think he said he hadn't done that since high school, so he was clearly off." And so those comments, I think, was basically like, "I just think they should have went to the bullpen. I think that is a, that is more what he was trying to say there, not oh, take me out. I don't want to pitch anymore." Uh, and not that they got he got proven right by giving up a home run, but I don't know. He, he just. I think he just knew, and it's pretty self-aware of him to know that maybe I shouldn't go out there for the seventh inning. I don't have my best stuff tonight. But also, George doesn't have to prove anything to anyone at this point about going deep into games. I mean, look at how many innings he's thrown this year. He's thrown 165 innings and 27 starts, by far the most in his career. He... They really held him innings-wise back last year because he hadn't thrown that many in his young career. That's what you do with a pitcher. Uh, And he's thrown so many innings this year and constantly gotten deep into games. So he doesn't have to prove anyone to this. Like He doesn't have to go out there and go seven, eight innings in his next start to prove that he can do that. We know he can do that. And the Mariners leaving him out there is like a testament to him because they've seen him go deep into games this year plenty of times, and clearly have confidence in him. And I still think, I still think it was the wrong move to leave him in. Uh, but ultimately, I don't, again, I don't, I don't like commenting on, on bullpen stuff like people on Twitter love to say, "Hey Scott, you suck, you're the worst, you should be fired after." Any pitcher makes a mistake after either leaving a pitcher in, putting the wrong relief pitcher in, whatever. I don't like to do that because it's, you know, that's the laziest tweet you could make. Uh, But obviously, George shouldn't have been saying that after the game. And honestly, I imagine this this happens. Like I said, I think this probably happens more than we think, but nobody ever says it to the media. And baseball culture, like a lot of baseball players and fans and especially around pitchers in this game, is like you you grit it out up there. You're on the mound. You go until your manager takes you out. If your manager doesn't take you out, you don't complain. You keep pitching. That's just how it goes. And that is generally the culture of baseball. It's like you got to, you know, for lack of a better term, you got to be a man out there. And I, I hate that, but that's kind of a big culture around baseball. This whole ordeal made so many people have a take on it on Twitter. It gave like old head pitchers a chance to complain about it online, which is generally old heads in baseball. I generally hate their opinions. I'll say it. Uh, but many of them chimed in basically calling Kirby a little bitch and explaining how soft he is for saying that. Uh, the one that stuck out to me was Jared Weaver? I, there were a lot of others, but Jared Weaver tweeted about it. Who, first of all, I want to say this openly: fuck Jared Weaver. I'll say it. But he tweeted something like, like, um, like you, you never, you never asked to get taken out. I never do something like that because I'm a, I'm a big boy. I don't. I've never asked to get taken out of the game. Which is funny because someone pulled receipts of him literally asking to get taken out of a game uh, with a mid 90s pitch count in his career. Pretty funny. So he's, he has actually done the same thing, not complained to the media afterwards, but Jared, come on, buddy, don't stand on your high horse. Like you haven't done that. There's evidence that you have, uh, but a lot of former pitchers came out to say something like that. It was very similar, very much along those lines where it's like, we get it guys. You're very big, strong, masculine, former pitchers who are still very cool. We get it. It's aw- it's great. You guys have a take about this. Uh, obviously none of you have ever watched George Kirby before. There's simply no chance that Jared Weaver's watched a George Kirby game and a lot of others like Mark Mulder. No way. Mark Mulder has any idea what type of pitcher George Kirby is. Uh, cause anyone criticizing George Kirby for not wanting it, not being competitive enough, like not having that dog in him, they don't know George Kirby. They haven't watched George Kirby or if they have, they haven't watched him enough or paid enough attention. Unfortunately, though, I think people will remember him for this as, as much as we all hope people won't remember him for this because he's so much more. Um, particularly, like, either fans or former players who, again, don't ever watch him pitch or rarely watch him pitch will remember him as this guy and equate this one moment to this dude just doesn't want to give his all for the team. Uh, the Mariners are a soft organization. Uh, he, George Kirby's a little diva, and he'll complain to the media about his manager. And that sucks that a lot of people are going to know him kind of as that. Uh, and I hope they get to watch George Kirby. I hope uh, they see that he's a phenomenal pitcher, absolute competitor. He's the quite quite literally the opposite of this. He knows it. The Mariners know it. Anyone who's watched him knows this. Uh, it's just uh, it's tough. Honestly, I think George Kirby, obviously, I love George Kirby. I think he's a great pitcher. He's proven to be a very good pitcher, and he's only in year two of his career. And he's also really smart. He's very clearly very smart. Uh, I think he's pretty self-aware. Like, it's very self-aware of him to even suggest coming out of a game and giving it to the guys he trusts in the bullpen, basically to give his team a better chance to win because he... Maybe he was tired, but I, I think mainly he just didn't have it that night. And he gave you six innings and was like, well, it's probably better off to go to the bullpen. He literally said, I mean, like I said earlier, he said he'd never walked and hit a guy in the same game before in his life or something like that. And he did it in the first inning. So obviously he was a little off. Just an unfortunate moment for him. Lapse in judgment, to say that to the media. Uh, he might honest, He might be too honest for his own good. And this is clearly evidence of that, uh, learning moment, but I'll reiterate if anyone, and if this, if you fall into this category and you're listening to this podcast, that's interesting, but thanks for listening. If anyone says George Kirby is not competing hard enough, he doesn't have that dog in him. He's not a competitor. He'll, he'll bag his manager, uh, because he wants to look better fuck out of here we saw this dude go nine innings of shutout ball and a loss against the Orioles this year he went eight scoreless against the Astros in the game that never ended in the ALDS last season and they lost that game too like time and time again this season especially he's gone out there another inning another inning giving it everything he has for this team and so, truthfully, anyone who says any of that stuff about him either doesn't watch him, doesn't know ball is a gigantic bitch like Jared Weaver, or they're all three of those things. Uh, I, I just it was sickening the amount of takes on Twitter about this, uh, and I really am. I'm not upset about it. It's just really unfortunate. People have come to learn, I guess, George Kirby. Uh, through this because this this ain't him man this is not him made a mistake he apologized for it watch him pitch he's an absolute dog Uh, and I think people are equating this this moment where he's he didn't want to go out there for the seventh as again they'll always some people are always going to now say George Kirby doesn't have it George Kirby's soft uh, which is tough but he'll come to town in your, uh, in your city and pitch against your baseball team, and he'll uh, dot up 98 on the corners with no walks and walk off the field very calmly and absolutely lay his dick down upon your lineup that you root for for your team. He'll do that to you and keep calling him soft. Do it. So that that's what I think about George Kirby. Again, don't think this is going to lead to much. Clearly, they had a conversation uh, after he made those comments, had a conversation with Scott, I <laughs> just no way there's any bad blood there. I mean, again, Kirby's still really young in his career. Uh, and that's that, that is that it was, uh, that kind of took over Twitter for 48 hours there, uh, unfortunately, but that is what I have to say on the matter. I love George Kirby, excited for him to get back out there. Uh, and yeah, that is what I have to say about George. So that kind of... Uh, I think he was also probably a little frustrated, too, I imagine, because this was another loss that had, that turned into a loss against the Rays. There were a lot of those uh, where either the starter late gives up runs, the reliever gives up runs. It was a tough road trip, and I'll transition to said road trip. Last week, uh, I, I said tough start to the road trip against the Mets. They dropped two of three in New York to start the uh, 10-game road trip they had and the start of September uh, and they only went and kind of made things worse they lost two of three to the Reds and then they lost three of four to the Tampa Bay Rays to cap off a three and seven road trip to start the month of September those Reds games are real royalty huh like those, those Reds games felt real royalty. They just did not go away. That lineup is really freaking pesky. And they lost 6 3, 7 6, and then won the last game 8 4. At least they didn't get swept at all this road trip. They lost three straight series, but they got a win in each of them. At least that's something. They just, yeah, the 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 Reds' ballpark and offense just kind of zapped them in those games, uh, and a lot of the the bullpen has been a little subpar this week. But I think that's largely due to pitchers not really going deep into games. Like before George Kirby going six, I think every pitcher on that road trip uh, after the Mets, every pitcher in Cincinnati and in Tampa had gone, like, five or less, the starters, uh, and the bullpen was clearly very taxed. Munoz was used three times in a, in a row, which had never been done in his career, and now he's supposedly a little hurt because of that. We saw Sacedo, he's kind of regressing to the mean. Isaiah Campbell, a little regression to the mean against the Rays. I mean, he gave up a home run. He's been pretty solid, but the pitching staff was was tired the starters were getting hit a little bit again which just snowballs into the bullpen being used more and more they had to do they skipped Brian Wu's start this week against the Rays and had Luke Weaver uh, mop it up and then and then they left Luke Weaver out there for another inning and he got zonked which I, I, I don't like commenting on bullpen usage but that was questionable like come on you got like what four or five scoreless from Luke Weaver let me pull it up. Let me pull it up. If I'm misremembering this, and I'm misremembering this. Uh, and I know this, I mean, this game wasn't very long ago, uh, but it was the, uh, what, the Friday game? The Saturday game, I believe. Uh, I'm doing this real time, and I'm not going to cut it. This is the type of authenticity you get here at the Chaos Ball podcast in the Chaos headquarters of the closet of my apartment building. Apartment building? No. Trent Thornton started that game. It was Saturday. Trent Thornton starts the game. Goes two innings. K's three. Gives up zero runs. And then Luke Weaver comes in, and his final line was four and a third, four earned runs, two walks, and two K's. And uh, that's a real Luke Weaver-looking-ass line to me. Uh, That's very par for the course for Luke Weaver, especially this season with... Both the Reds and his little sample of the Mariners, but so he came in scoreless third, scoreless fourth, and then gave up two runs in the fifth, and then gets another scoreless in the sixth. So you're through six innings. You've gotten two-run baseball from Trent Thornton in two innings, and Luke Weaver in four. And I I understand the bullpen's probably very tired at this point, especially this is the second-to-last day of the road trip. But you put him out there for the seventh, you put him out there for the seventh inning and he just gives up hit after hit and then gets taken out. It's, and I like Spire was ready. Spire could have came in. and I'm not saying Spire wouldn't have given up runs. You never know. This is one of those classic ones where I think if Spire comes in and gives up a couple runs, they're like, man, Luke Weaver, people on Twitter would be like, Luke Weaver is pitching really, really well, really well. Why not leave him in? I, no, come on, come on. We're not leaving Luke Weaver in that game because he he comes out in the seventh. Jonathan Aranda hits a double, strikes out Rene Pinto. That's the lone out he got before he, uh, before he came out. And then Taylor Wallace singles, scores Jonathan Aranda. Then Spire gives up a double. To, to knock on Luke Weaver's inherit, uh, his inherited runner, which was Luke Weaver's. And that game is history from that point on. The Mayors get one back in the eighth, but then give up two in the bottom of the ninth to blow the game. Another where they had Saucedo in there for the ninth. It's a tie game. And Topa had pitched. Spire had pitched. I don't know who else you could have gone to, but... Saucedo came in for the night specifically he gets Aranda out he gets Pinto out he walks Taylor Walls and then Yandy Diaz comes to the plate Yandy Diaz comes to the plate and this is the point in the inning where if I'm managing out of the park baseball I'm probably putting in a right-handed pitcher to fit (laughs) to pitch to Yandy Diaz uh, because it's not a huge difference this year between righty and lefty for him specifically, but he's slashing. Uh, he has an 880 OPS against right-handed pitching and a 985 against left-handed pitching. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what you could have done here because he he just socks a line drive, walk-off, home run into right field, off of like a Saucedo sinking fastball on the outside of the plate, So it's not even like really that bad of a pitch, but he barreled it and they blow that game. Another game where the bullpen blows the lead in the eighth or ninth, just brutal. And the point I wanted to make about this road trip is they looked so tired. It wasn't even, they, they looked fine for the red series. And then by the time they played the four game set against the Rays, they absolutely eked out a win on Friday uh, by the little hairs on their chinny-chin-chin. Chin, they won 1-0 in the opening game Uh, off a great Luis Castillo start. He went six innings, uh, four hits, eight Ks. Uh, no other stat matters there. He didn't walk anyone. No, I'm just kidding. He walked four. It was a weird Luis Castillo start. First two innings were real rough, was walking a lot of people, a lot of base runners, and then he, he settled in and was very filthy. Still, the command wasn't there, but he was absolutely effectively wild in this one, and he gets an insane amount of whiffs on his fastball regardless of where it's going. So he, he goes six, and then you get three perfect innings. Isaiah Campbell has, I think, the best inning of the year. He struck out the side and looked phenomenal. Matt Brash, another great inning. He's been really good, and then Munoz closes the game out, gives up a base runner, but that's, you know, that's closer to you got to give up a base runner and closes the game out. And they eked that one out. That was a classic Mariners victory one zero. And then they lose three straight to the race and they just look so tired. They just looked so, so tired and understandably. So, I mean, they had, they started the month of September, um, with an off day on August 31st. And then they go to New York, they go to Cincinnati, and they go to Tampa. That's just a long time on the road, and it it was it showed. So I don't even know how emblematic this series uh is of, like, that could be the wildcard matchup, Mariners-Rays. Uh, I don't know what we can really take of that series to project into the playoffs because they were just so evidently very tired, and the lack of starters going deep into games prior really didn't help. But all in all, sad road trip, 3-7, and capped it off with three straight. Close losses to the Rays too, that's what, there weren't even like blowouts, they were just close and they just ran out of steam. And then they play three straight against the Angels, they go back to Seattle from Tampa after playing 10 straight on the road, and they don't even have an off day, which is kind of crazy to me, that's kind of wild scheduling. At least the Angels are bad, but this is an all-time trap series. If we're talking about trap games, trap series is like the Seahawks game the other day. That was a big-time trap game against an inferior Rams team at home. Of course, they lost three games against the Angels, coming off a disappointing road trip at home. Come on, this is a tra- like they gotta they gotta win this series. They have to win this series because then they get the Dodgers at home over the weekend. I'm just. I'm so surprised this is not an off day. I'm recording this on Monday, so I guess we'll see how they look tonight. And then by the time this comes out on Tuesday, you'll know how they looked. And that is just a brutal return home. At least they're home. And Jared Kellnick's back. Jared Kellnick is back. He just got activated today. Cade Marlowe has been sent down to AAA. We thank him for his contributions, particularly the Grand Slam against Carlos Estevez in Anaheim one of the one of the greatest moments of the year so far uh, and he looked not overmatched for a little while and then he I think pitchers adjusted to him and now he'll have to adjust back but I think he had solid contributions to the team and he was the obvious demotion when Kelnick came back so it's not like not like it's really was unexpected but Derek Kelnick is back which is huge that is absolutely massive and we'll see how he looks he's in the lineup tonight playing I think right field and uh, I think we're going to see a lot of him in right field and Tao at DH. The Tao splits at DH this year have been insane. I'm going to have to look back on those at the end of the year, but I th- he Kelnick is playing a lot of right in Tacoma, which, and he's playing right tonight, so I think it's going to be a lot of Kelnick and right, Julio in center, and then Canzone doing more uh, haggerty in left with Cade Marlin now departing. That's very good news. But we'll see how they do against the Angels. And now I'll transition into talking about these rookie pitchers, Brian Wu and Bryce Miller. I mentioned earlier that Brian Wu uh, had a start skipped in his start prior to this. He looked not great. He looked real bad. He looked also just very tired. Uh, Velocity was down. I think it was the lowest velocity he's had all year. It, it was I'm looking at a graph now his fastball was sitting 91 average that game which is I don't even think he's hurt he's just so tired so they skipped his start in that start where they let Luke Weaver go a little bit too long and hopefully he comes back looking good but I have some season splits because both these fellas have had interesting seasons they've definitely been better than expected as rookie pitchers and take this with a grain of salt as it's They're rookies, and it's not the biggest sample. But it's been evident the past few weeks, the past few of both of their starts, that they, uh, they had really good initial couple starts there in the bigs, and then teams obviously gathered more data. I've talked about this. They got more data on them. They got more film on them. They figured out how to attack them. They've both kind of been working and having different game strategies to, you know, play the cat and mouse game with the hitters and Bryce Miller's clearly he's been using a lot more off-speed stuff and and Brian Wu was Brian Wu was just he was just starting to pitch worse and worse like worse and worse velocity too Uh, but I've pulled up season splits for both of these fellas to show the journey they've been on this year and we're gonna start with Brian Wu and I'm back you didn't Feel that pause and a phone call I just had, but you might have heard the ringtone. Had to take a phone call, but I'm back. Brian Wu. Let's talk. Let's talk about Brian Wu. Came up in June. His June splits. He threw 22 and two thirds innings in the month of June with a 4.37 ERA, 33% K percentage, 6.3% walk percentage. That is elite production in a small sample. And it shows with a 2.95 FIP uh, to go along with a 3.14 X FIP. So that 4.37 ERA, you know, he got a little unlucky, probably. Uh, And that that K-rate was no joke. He really was so good, looked very polished uh, in those innings. And then July happened. 26.1 innings pitched with a 5.47 ERA a 19.5 k percentage 8% walk rate a 5.43 fip and then a 4.98 x fip so boy what a change in a similar a similar amount of innings as well uh an, an absolute plummeting of his stats his k rate went way down his walk rate stayed similar it only went up 1.7% and that FIP, those FIP numbers, man, they matched his ERA, which just—he was giving up runs, and he was earning those runs in that month. Uh, it was—I feel like it was a classic rookie comes up, you get twenty-two innings, lights the world on fire, uh, not ERA-wise, but we all knew he looked really good. And then uh, guys figured out how to attack him in July. And then he's not—he's uh, not qualified for the month of August. He had three starts, but I have his total starts. I don't want to paint with a broad brush on his numbers cuz he only threw 16 innings and then just 5 in September. Uh but his August numbers, he had a start, 6 innings, 2 earned, 2 walks, 6 strikeouts. He started, that was against the Angels. Quality start. Good job. Then he had that start against the White Sox. He went four innings, one earned, one walk, three strikeouts. Struggled a little bit in that one. And then he had a start against the Oakland A's in August, late August. Six innings, zero earned, one walk, five strikeouts. So he came back in August looking better. Now that is inferior competition. Uh, In July, he faced the Giants, the Astros, the Twins, the Blue Jays, and the Diamondbacks. That is a gauntlet of playoff teams and playoff contenders uh and then august he faces the angels the white Sox, and the a's and he looked good in those starts good thankfully he looked good he looked fine <clears throat> and then his lone start in september it was last week against the reds he went five innings five earned three walks zero strikeouts really looked tired really not good velocity dipped completely uh and he just Gave up, just hit after hit, base runner after base runner. So, kind of a story of, I think, just fatigue. Uh, I had a tweet about this when, after that game that he had against the Reds. Uh, I threw up a graph from Baseball Savant of his pitch velocity, his fastballs. And starting out, and it's game by game, starting out, and if you want to go to my Twitter, just look up my Twitter name and a woo, and it'll be, I think, the first tweet that should come up. Uh, his pitch velocity started out averaging about 95. He was 96 pumping 96 in his first game f- fired up and it's slowly been plummeting. It has slowly been going down. There's a little dip and ju- er, a little, uh, revamp in July, uh, but it's dipped all the way down to below 94. He's had one, two, three, four, five, six starts averaging 94 or below uh, dating back to July 30th, and that is concerning. Uh, and uh, in this tweet I threw out, it's worth considering that Wu uh, threw 67.2 innings in his first pro season last year, and that was coming off Tommy John surgery. And this season, he's already thrown 114 between A and the majors. So already uh, just under double the amount of pro innings this year compared to last year and of course in college you don't throw that many innings and in college he threw as many innings as he could at Cal Poly and then got Tommy John surgery Uh, so I think there's not a whole lot to be concerned about I don't think he's hurt I think he legitimately is very tired thrown so many innings this year I'm glad they skipped his start that was definitely the right definitely the right move to skip his start and Ultimately, I think he'll be fine. I don't know if there's that much to really take from this. Uh, I just wanted to highlight what he's done this year in those splits, uh, and I think that rest will do him good. And I think I'll go over Bryce Miller's splits in a second, but him and Woo and Bryce is, is going to be with a caveat if the Mariners make the playoffs. They haven't made the playoffs yet. In a play, in a playoff series, obviously you have your three pitchers who are going to start the first three games in some order. You know, Gilbert, Kirby, and Castillo. And then you have these two fellas. Are you giving either of them the ball in a playoff start? I I don't know if I am. They won't even know in a wild card series, they won't need to get the ball on a start. Barring injury, knock on wood. But if they say make it to the ALDS, ELCS, the World Series, whatever. Uh one of them might have to start a game or maybe they do an opener and have one of these guys be a follower. I think both of them could be quite useful in the bullpen. I think Bryce Miller specifically could be more useful. He fits a more bullpenny type role considering he throws sixty percent fastballs as a starter. And it's an elite fastball. So you give Bryce Miller some an inning or two uh every game, every other game, because he also has starter pedigree, starter stamina, so you can use him as a bulk reliever in the playoffs and maybe that fits him well. And then a woo, maybe you start a game or maybe use an opener and use a woo as a follower. I don't know. It's, it's going to be really interesting because I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what the answer is in the playoffs with these two guys. Uh, but that was Brian Wu's splits. The biggest thing I noticed was that fastball velocity when I went on Savant and, and just looked that up real quick. That was like, Oh shit. Okay. He's definitely very tired. Uh, so we'll see what is, what is Velo? And movement and all that, and spin is looking like on his first start back after the rest. Hopefully good. Hopefully good down the stretch. And then Bryce Miller, his splits. And I have, he came up earlier, so I have May splits, May, June, and July. Uh, And then I will go over his game logs so far from the month of August. Bryce Miller, May splits. He threw 36 innings with a 3 ERA flat. 23% K percentage, 2.2% walk. 2.2% walk in 36 innings is ridiculous. He had a 2.68 FIP in that time and then a 4.13 X FIP in that time. So varying numbers there. uh, I, I think those varying FIPs are emblematic of his walk percentage and his k percentage that is a slightly below average k percentage i think and a very below average walk percentage so that was a lot of contact and so that's going to make the fip jump up and down a little bit when there's just a lot of balls in play uh and they were i'll get into this later they they were better balls in play than he's given up in june july but then june he threw 23 innings with a 5.48 era 25% K and then 9.4% walk percentage to go along with a 4.61 FIP and a 4.01 X FIP. So, similar to Brian Wu, good first month, not as good second month. Guys started figuring out that he's throwing the fastball every time. And regardless of it being an elite fastball, it's not Spencer Strider or Jacob deGrom's fastball. And he doesn't have another elite pitch yet to go along with it so I see where this was coming from Uh, I think his his FIPS caught up with him a little bit in that one and then July 32.2 innings pitched with a 3.86 ERA 21.5% K 4.4% walks with a 3.32 FIP and a 4.52 XFIP and July was encouraging July July was the swing back he made some adjustments he stopped throwing the fastball as much Uh, he's it like it's been very evident watching him pitch he's incorporated that changeup a lot more and that slider a lot more he has a slider and a sweeper uh, he's been throwing the slider more and I think it's been more effective on um, the changeup still pretty low usage but more so than like in May and it's looked it's looked okay uh it's, it's something different from his fastball but I think that slider is gonna be his pitch to I think I think fastball slider is his future uh, and then maybe a five to 10% usage on a complimentary changeup of some kind because that fastball does need to shine. But so that was his splits for May, June and July. So again, similar to woo. To and then a woo had kind of a bounce back the next month and, and Bryce Miller did as well. And then we go to August and he's thrown two or not August, sorry, September. He's thrown two games in September against the reds last week. Five innings, seven hits, one earned, one walk, two strikeouts. That was the one of the best, worst games I've ever seen from a pitcher. Maybe not ever seen. But it was constant base runners, constant high-stress situations, only two strikeouts, so much contact, so many balls in play. Only gives up one run. Could have been six runs in this game. But he ekes out five innings of one-run ball. Uh it looks good on the stat sheet did not look amazing uh watching that game. And then he had his start against the Rays uh yesterday, Sunday for me. Uh 5 innings, 9 hits, 5 earned, 1 walk, 7 Ks. A lot a lot more whiffs in this game interestingly enough, but a lot more hard contact for our man Bryce Miller. So September has not treated him super kindly yet. He hasn't looked great. And what's really interesting to me is I have these numbers for May, June, and July because he's because he's qualified and fangraphs. It's way easier for me to find splits for him being qualified. So May, June, and July. His ground ball and fly ball rate varied a lot. His hard hit rate is, against batters has stayed consistently around 35% the whole year. His K rate has been... 21 to 25 percent so in that similar range he's been all year the line drive rate he's given up has stayed around 22 percent the whole year as well so those have all been fairly consistent fly ball to ground ball ratio is where it has not been consistent at all may june and july in that order that's how the months go if you didn't know may june and july in that order His ground ball rate has been 29.6 39.7% and 30.6. That is a 10 point swing up and then down almost 10 points. And it's fly ball rate in that time, 48% in May, 36.5% in June and 48% in July. So varying, very varying. And it kind of lines up perfectly with his stats and I think I've talked about this before ground balls turn into hits way way more often than fly balls Uh, fly balls turn into home runs more often obviously but a pitcher who induces more fly balls will have a lower BABIP because the balls in play are not going to go for hits as much as a ground ball pitcher and if you look at the ground ball to fly ball rate 29.6 ground ball to 48 percent fly ball in May to go along with a three ERA and then in june his ground ball rate goes up 10% to 39.7 and his fly ball rate plummets 12% to 36.5 to go along with a 5.48 era and then in july it normalizes again it goes back down basically 10 points his ground ball rate to 30.6 and then his fly ball rate goes up again to what it was in may 48% to go along with a 3.86 era you see where I'm going with this? I think the fly ball to the ground ball ratio has correlated exactly with his ERA because it seems the more ground balls he gives up, the worse off he's going to be because they're turning into hits more. And I think it's just because guys are squaring up his fastball more on ground balls. I think if he – when his fastball is living in the bottom of the zone – it's going to be easier to hit harder and more likely to be on the ground, and so I think that's kind of that's <laughs> kind of what it is. Because his fastball, when it lives at the top of the zone, really good pitch. Uh, guys are going to get under it, especially because it has rise and so much spin. Uh, I think, I think in June they just sat on that because he's still an elite fastball. Batters still knew it was coming, and they can hit that. And as he's, I think, worked in more secondary pitching, more secondary pitches, uh, that fly ball rate has gone up because uh, the fastball usage is down to 60%, which is crazy to say, down to 60%. Uh, but I think that's, I don't know, I think the pitch mix is a huge reason for, for these numbers. I'm no, I'm no expert. And I could I could really dive into the data uh, at the end of the year to really figure out what had been going on in terms of correlating pitch usage to ground ball ratio and whatever but that was super interesting to me that those ground ball and fly ball rates correlated almost perfectly with uh, his fluctuating ERA's and FIPs uh and that's Bryce Miller's splits a topsy turvy year a very normal rookie year kind of normal rookie year for a guy who burst onto the scene and had more expectation than maybe he had coming into the year obviously uh, but ultimately, has been pretty solid. Uh, tough first two starts this month. Maybe they skip his next start like they did with Brian Wu. I think that could be definitely worthy. I think skipping starts, getting everyone prepped for those final 10 games against the Rangers and Astros would be very worth doing right now with the Angels and the A's coming up and then the Dodgers sandwiched in between. I don't know what they're going to do. I I just think both of those guys, have, they've pitched a lot for rookies, uh, especially Brian Wu who had surgery, but also Bryce Miller. I mean, he's not that removed from college in his first pro season, and he's already thrown so many innings in the big leagues. I think both of them have kind of run out of steam a little bit, and it's it's shown, but let's hope they, they get some rest going into the stretch, final stretch of the season, and then if playoffs are a thing that are happening, it's going to be a conversation to be had about how these two fellows are going to be used. Cause I don't think they're going to be using the rotation really, because you can kind of get away with a three man rotation in the playoffs. If you're, if you're crafty with it, you can get away with it, especially if you have a good bullpen like the Mariners do and can kind of lean on that more. It's been this day and age. It'll just be interesting to see. And that was my rookie pitcher segment. And that's it for that. Winding down the show, I mentioned the schedule already, but they play the Angels in a three-game set, day off, and then have the Dodgers over the weekend. If they get one from the Dodgers, I'd be happy with that. They're playing fantastic ball. They're dodgering real, real hard these days. Uh, but their pitching, their pitching has been a little bit of a shit show, especially uh, Walker Buehler. I don't think he's gonna be back at all this year. Julio Urias is a really shitty human being and won't be back hopefully ever in the sport of baseball. Uh, their bullpen has been a work in progress the whole season. But you know what they do have is Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman at the 1-2 in the lineup, and that can win you every game you play. So there's that. And then it's it's the nitty-gritty scary times after that. You have a set against the A's on the road, a three-game set, and then you have you have the final schedule. Everyone knows it. Rangers, Astros, Rangers to end the year. And right now, right now, the division is looking like this. The Astros, and I said this a few weeks ago, even maybe even a month ago, the Astros are going to win this division, and I hate it. And look what they're doing. They're not running off with the division, but they're two and a half up of the Mariners right now. The Mariners are half a game ahead of the Rangers, who have been playing really bad baseball. And the wild card is looking like this. Tampa all but sealed the number one wild card spot. They are... Uh, what, eight and a half games ahead of Toronto in second place. Toronto is one game ahead of the Mariners, and then the Mariners are a half game ahead of the Rangers. And then Boston is six back. And after that, I, I think it's just those four now. And I guess the Astros are kind of in the mix. But uh, the Cardians, despite making some notable waiver claims... Not really making a push for the division as they almost got swept by the Angels last week. This this very recently. Uh, so really, it's just Tampa, Toronto, Seattle, and Texas. But honestly, it's just Toronto, Seattle, and Texas for the final two wild card spots because Tampa's has it basically locked up. They could still win the division. It's Tampa or Baltimore, but both those teams are clear right now for the wild card at least. And this makes me scared. This frightens me greatly. Because while the Rangers have been quite bad recently, Nate Ivaldi has really come down to earth. Their bullpen is still a work in progress. Despite making additions to it, those additions have not been amazing. Chapman has not been great. Uh, the offense has cooled off a little bit. They're dealing with some injuries, like to Adolis Garcia. Uh, Semi and Seager are amazing. They're continuing to do what they do, but... The big one I feel like is Nate Yavaldi. The Velo has been down a little bit. He just looked generally not good. They're getting Dane Dunning back, uh, I think, this week, which pushes Heaney to the bullpen, and Heaney hasn't been amazing. They're looking very, very close to the team I expected going into the year. Talented, but just the weakness in the pitching staff is huge. And a team like the Mariners is can they exploit it? I genuinely don't know at this point. I genuinely don't know. But they're at, the Mariners are a half game up right now, and they got to pick up these games against the Angels and the A's because I want to go into those final series against the Rangers and Astros a game, a game and a half, two games even, against the Rangers. Ideally, I'd want to clinch the playoffs by then, but I don't think that's going to happen because we can't have nice things. It's it's squeaky bum time. It's, it's tingly time right now. It's scary, scary hours, and I don't know what's going to happen. But I do know what I'm about to say, and that is thank you all for listening. Very much appreciate it if you're listening this far. Give it a rating, review, whatever may have you. Um, Go down to your local fish hatchery and say, hey, do you guys know about the Mariners? No, not the Mariners you're thinking of, the Seattle Mariners. Do you know there's a podcast called the Chaos Ball Podcast that talks about the Seattle Mariners? Yes. Listen to it. Yeah. I guarantee you, No other podcast you've listened to has told you to go down to your local fish hatchery and promote the podcast. I just did. So thank you again for listening. Have a good rest of your week. And of course, go Mariners.